we all have a secret excuse, you know, for why we don't get what we want in life or why we don't demand enough from life. And so we just defer the things we want indefinitely into the future. The thing is that it's it's not as secret as you might think. Plenty of other people that had to deal with the exact same excuse that you had, and they were able to power through it anyway. Let's go. Hello and welcome to the brand new You Show. I'm Ryan, your host, and today it is my pleasure to welcome to the show Danny Flood, co-founder of Open World, the world's number one resource for active lifestyle creators. Danny is an author, a podcaster, and a location-independent entrepreneur originally from San Diego, California. He is the founder of Open World Magazine and the Open World Podcast, where he interviews the world's most exciting adventurers and location-independent entrepreneurs. Danny has traveled to over 30 countries on four continents, and during his travels, he has crossed half of Southeast Asia on motorcycle. He's rafted down the Amazon and climbed the tallest mountains of South America. He's repelled off waterfalls in the jungles and sailed across the South China Sea. He's even tangoed in Buenos Aires and fought Thai boxing matches in Bangkok. Danny believes that we should live life on our own terms without the outside pressure from others. And to this end, his book, By Your Own Island, is a playbook designed to help individuals find the love, adventure, passion, and purpose they seek. Danny, it is my pleasure to welcome you to the brand new You Show. Ryan, it is my pleasure, and I must admit, I am feeling a little bit of pressure after that uh, excellent introduction you just gave there. <laughs> Thank you very <laughs> it's much. <laughs> it's amazing what you can find on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess I can't hide anything from the, the personal branding expert. <laughs> <laughs> or at least the uh, anal retentive um, person who really likes to get into understanding everything I can about the people that I talk to. <laughs> yes, sir. As you know, I know you listen to the show. Um, that's how you reached out to me and how we got hooked up originally. Uh, so you know the very first question that's going to come. And I'm really excited to understand from you the answer to this question, considering you've been to all these different places uh, and countries throughout you know, your lifetime. And so what I would really like to know is if you could vacation in only one place, where would you go? Oh, that's so hard to say. But um, since I'm living in Thailand at the moment, I'd have to uh, give a shout out to Thailand. Okay. Any, is there any particular spot in Thailand that you like or prefer over the other or just the entire country is a place where you'd like to go? I just like the entire country as a whole. Um, I think that there's a great lifestyle out here. Uh, the quality of life is really good. The cost of living is really low. Um, I, I feel like a lot of people, when they come out here, they kind of just fall into the, the tourism machine. Um, but if, if you kind of get out and, and kind of explore, get, you know, kind of get off the beaten path a little bit, there's, there's so much to be discovered. And, um, and yeah, it can be really cheap out here, you know, as long as you're not buying tourist packages on, Agoda or something. I don't know. I never, I never use those. So, <laughs> but it's a great place though. And you should come visit Ryan. I, well, you know, I have, um, I have a lot of coworkers who actually travel to Thailand and Southeast Asia as a part of, you know, our jobs when we're looking to source products and parts and pieces uh, from, from that area of the world. And all of them come back and tell me that Thailand is like their favorite place to go and visit. It, it is amazing. You know, I, just, I actually just hosted a dinner party last night and uh, for entrepreneurs and, uh, a couple guys from Canada were there and like we just arrived and we had no idea it was like this. This is this place is amazing. <laughs> 
there's a there's a saying that uh, there's a saying that you come to Bangkok as a man and then you you become a god from the moment you you get off the plane. <laughs> so it's <laughs> well, maybe we can dive into that a little bit later. Um, you're you're a you're a super busy guy. You've got a lot of things going on. I mentioned at the beginning, you're an author, you're a podcaster, you're traveling around all these different countries. What kind of and I know you've released your first book this year, and since then you've released several others. You know, what kind of things are you currently working on? Yeah, sure. So I've published uh, five books this year. Um, I think I have four four product launches planned this month. So I, I'm trying to get two more books out by uh, Christmas, actually. Uh, so I'm, I'm co-authoring one, and um, I've gotten really good at kind of systematizing the book production and publishing process. So I want to now that I know how it works. Now I know how the Amazon game works. Now that I know how to actually generate royalties with books because I, I kind of mess it up a few times. Uh, I just want to get more books out there and I just finished a video course. So I, I, I did a book, I just wrote a book called hack sleep and, um, just did a video course for Udemy, which is a kind of a sleep hacking masterclass, which is more in depth as kind of like an upsell for people who want more information and also have a, a crowdfunding campaign in two weeks for uh, a digital magazine that I'm launching. Wow. You are definitely staying busy. I also noticed <laughs> that you are doing a, uh, if, and correct me if I'm wrong, if I, maybe I misread this, but you're doing a small group mastermind for people who are looking to publish books on Amazon so that they don't have to go through some of the trials and tribulations that you went through. And as you just said, you've kind of learned that stuff. And so I, I believe your mastermind group is going to help pass on those lessons to the people who sign up, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I feel like I kind of messed up the first four launches of my books. And then the fifth one, I hit it out of the park. And I, I understand, you know, Amazon has an algorithm that doesn't care how good a book is. It just counts sales and particularly sales in the first week or two. So that's when I publish my first four books, I would do like a free promotion, you know, just try to expose people to my work. Now I do I do 99 cent promotion. And if, if you can plan your 99 cent promotion the right way, get a big spike in sales like the first five days or the first week that your book is out, it's going to do really, really well. And that's, that's really the difference between selling 30, 40 copies a day versus three or four copies a day. As I was reading through your book by your own, your first book by your own island, The Ultimate Guide to Breaking Free and Making Your Dreams a Reality, it's an extremely well-written book. It goes through kind of a very logical process start to finish. I kind of compare it to a mixture of Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill and a combination with The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. But at the same time, you almost provide people with an MBA in location-independent lifestyle. The question I'd like to ask as we start to talk about your book is, where, where did the title come from? Yeah, sure. So there's kind of a funny story behind that. I mean, the working titles that I had for the book initially were just awful. So I had things like, you know, Lifestyle Design Bible or something like this, which is really, really bad. You know, I'm embarrassed to say it now, but I wanted to find an idea that could encompass everything that I was kind of going with in the book. And um, I was reading this book, Cashvertising, which um, is all about like uh, writing headlines, writing copywriting. And there was something in there that said, you know, buy your own island. And it was talking about advertising. But at the same time, I read this story about some friends that I know, uh, some people, a group of people who actually bought their own island. And in the blog post, uh, the guy Tynan, he says that it's funny how huge lifelong dreams can become uh, practical and achievable and made to happen within a matter of weeks. Sometimes it's just a matter of having the right information and the right plan and uh, rather than believing that it's impossible. And I thought, wow, that's that's really like everything I want to say 
encompassed neatly into one sentence. Myself, you know, like you said, it, it's, it's a combination of think and grow rich. So like the first section of the book kind of focuses a lot on that, you know, setting your dream goals by intention and then breaking them into specific, breaking them into their component parts so that there's specific action steps that you can take, you know, today, next day, tomorrow, and then really putting a number on it, you know, as far as how much it's going to cost, what the, the time investment might be. And, and once you really break things down into specific steps that you can act on, then it, it becomes far more achievable than if you have some abstract goal that has no timeline on it. Yeah. And I think that's, that's what I really liked about it. If people really wanted to become a location independent entrepreneur, this is a great book for them to begin to develop the mindset. And, and that's really where I want to start because that's where your book starts as well, which I think is fantastic. And you just said believing that something is impossible. A lot of people are listening to this. They're going to think, well, location independent entrepreneur, come on. That's, that's not for me. Only certain people can do those types of things, but you yourself didn't start out as a location independent entrepreneur. In fact, you were very location dependent, just like the rest of us. But at some point, you began to get the mind shift to move and believe that you could become a location independent entrepreneur. Can you tell us about that time or maybe that moment where you it kind of clicked for you and you said, you know what, I, I can do this. I can become location independent. Yeah, it was kind of just a leap of faith. I mean, I didn't have all of the answers. I didn't have maybe any of the answers in the beginning. Um, I, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, and um, I started out freelancing. I, I graduated with an associate's degree, managed to get through college somehow, an advertising degree from the Art Institute. Uh, actually, Gary Ware, whom you interviewed on this podcast, he went to the same school, I believe. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah, because we were in the same advertising club. So basically, that's where I met Gary. I went to all these networking events. I was in this business referral group you know, where uh, there would be like one plumber, one digital marketer, one web designer, one, I don't know, like massage therapist or something like this. And I would go to those every week. And I, you know, I look at the people who are much older than me. And I said, you know, I don't want to still be here in like 30 or 40 years. So I need to figure something else. I need to find a new life path for myself. And so I, I just, I left that group, you know, like I was depending on them to get like clients and stuff. And I, I just, I was like, well, I'll just go to Mexico for like a month or two. Um, I know this place already because I've, I've taken a lot of surf trips down there. And I'll just try living down there and see how it works out. And, um, you know, if, if something goes horribly wrong, I'll just drive back. And everything went fine. I mean, it was, it was just kind of a huge wake-up call for me because I, I kind of broke free of the, the grind, you know, broke free of uh, having to keep pace with everyone else. And I could just have time to hang out in the garden and read and plan on what I want to do next. And that was really cool. Like just changing up the environment, you know, really changed the pace up for me. So after that kind of experiment, I came back after about two months or so, I, I booked a one-way ticket to the other side of the world. I went to Buenos Aires and I was living down there for a while and uh, started to take up tango dancing and, and just partying every night, you know, trying to get on Argentine time. And yeah, and spent some time backpacking around in Brazil and some of the countries around there as well. Now, now you've already mentioned several things that a lot of people dream about doing. And I think one of the things that gets in the way of, of anybody even, you know, taking that first step or that first leap is, is something that you refer to in your book as alibi-itis. Can you tell us about alibi-itis? What is it? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, we, we all have a secret excuse, you know, for why we don't get what we want in life or why we don't demand enough from life. And um I used to carry it with myself too. You know, um, a lot of people are single, for example, because they 
they feel like they don't make enough money, you know, to, to date or they don't have enough time to, to search for a significant other or, I don't know, there's, there's all kinds of, of excuses that we carry around um, and they're just kind of a secret excuse that postpones action, you know, so we just defer the things we want indefinitely into the future. I mean, it could be fear of failure, it could be fear of ridicule, it could be fear of rejection, all these things. The thing is that it's, it's not as secret as you might think. There are plenty of other people that had to deal with the exact same excuse that you had and they were able to, to power through it anyway. I'm at a point in my life where I, I just, I don't know, I don't feel that same insecurity. I, I don't want to sound arrogant, but I think that once, once you take steps to regularly come out of your comfort zone, as, as David Dita says in The Way of a Superior Man, uh, lean just beyond your edge, you know, just lean just beyond the edge of your comfort zone, take small steps out of your comfort zone, you build up this confidence, and then you just realize that those, those same excuses, they don't exist anymore. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, some people espouse, just take the leap and jump. And I like what you said, which is lean into it, because then you can kind of put one foot out of your comfort zone while still keeping one foot in it which I know means that you could immediately jump back to your comfort zone if you wanted to. But by leaning in, I think more people might be inclined to take that leap because, you know, you talk a lot about this in your book. And that's, that's one of the things I really liked about it was you went through a whole bunch of just mindset issues and things that people think about that bother them, that prevent them from moving forward in this way. And I'm, and I'm wondering, what is the single biggest obstacle that you think stands in the way of people being successful and making that leap from I'm going to be a location dependent person who's an employee to I'm going to put my foot out and try to become a location independent freelancer. Yeah, sure. So um, I guess the reason that it maybe it hit home for you, I guess, because I, I feel like I was just talking to myself, the person that I was a few years ago. So I was kind of I had this avatar of who my reader was and he was just like me. So I, I went through all of these issues myself. That's why I'm so familiar with them. I know what it's like to feel like you're spinning the wheels and not really getting anywhere in your life. To be really frustrated, feel like no one respects you, you know, all this stuff. So what you asked me, what, what holds people back? I, I think that, you know, for me, like just changing my environment was really helpful. You know, sometimes you have to replace your friends. You know, if you have uh, a networking group or, or, you know, people in your network who, uh, are thinking in a mediocre fashion and you are focused on your dreams. Sometimes you need to find people who are like you and keep each other accountable. So, I mean, I started a mastermind group and I said to these guys, I was like, you know, let's, let's get together. Let's, let's do this exercise where we fill in our dream goals, you know, things we really dream about doing, having, being that would really kind of change our life. And, you know, we did this. And for me, it was like performing a lobotomy. Uh, I had never kind of forced myself to come to the table like this and really define what I wanted from my life. My, my goals were really arbitrary and I was a slave to my business. I didn't really have any social life or dating life or personal life. And, and then I realized, you know, I, I need to change things. I, I realized at that point, you know, something has to change. And, and when I did that, um, it was a process, you know, but we checked in every month on, you know, Google Hangouts uh, just to say, you know, where are you? What, you know, what progress have you made? Um, you know, is there any way we can help each other? Uh, and that was really helpful. I mean, I did that for two or three years and just being able to keep yourself accountable and, and no excuses, you know, if you didn't do anything this month. Why didn't you, you know, and you broke it down into these simple steps to follow. So there's, there's no reason not to. And especially when there's others who are doing 
the same thing, it kind of encourages you to go go forward. And that's that's really, really helpful if you don't have that confidence at first. But over time, what you do is you build up like reference experiences. You know, when you take baby steps out of your comfort zone, um, if you have enough like positive reference experiences, they can kind of short circuit negative emotions or fears as they come. And you say, well, you know, I've already done all this cool stuff. You know, I've proven that I'm capable enough. I'm, I'm good enough. There's no reason why I can't do the next thing. And it's going to be bigger than what I've already done. Most people always, always think of, well, I can't do that uh, for whatever reason. But you actually offer a challenge to that and say, hey, instead of doing the why I can't do something, which we can all do, why don't you take a minute and actually do, I'm, I'm going to call it the why you can exercise. Can you explain a little bit about what the why you can exercise is? Yeah, sure. So um, so I, I got that idea It's uh, from Brian Tracy. So Brian Tracy is a personal success coach and um, he, he gives this concept of mindstorming. I believe it's Brian Tracy. It might be the book, The Magic of Thinking Big. I'm pretty sure it's Brian Tracy though. So basically, whenever you're, you approach like a challenge or something you want to do, just write down all the ideas that come to you and don't even like critique yourself. Just write down what it is and then write down everything that comes to mind. When I was trying to write my first book, it took me a long time. It's a big book. It's like 330 pages. It was a long work in progress. But I, you know, I, I try to take anything that was like a negative and then reframe it positively. So like I would write at the top of the, the sheet, I would say reasons why I can write a great book. And then I would write, you know, I have, I've already read, you know, a bunch of books about this topic. I have a lot of experience in this topic. But then there's things like, okay, well, I'm living on my savings. I don't have much money. But then I turned that into a positive. So I said, like, you know, I don't have that many commitments right now. You know, I don't, I can, I can live cheap. I know how to live like a college student if I have to. Um, or I could go back to Southeast Asia, which is what I did and, and live cheap for a while. That, that was really key is, is being able to turn, I guess it's sort of like stoicism, but being able to take any stimulus and run it through a positive filter in your mind. And, and, and it's kind of, it definitely it takes practice, but if there's an event that happens to you, there's three different ways that you can interpret it. You know, you can interpret it negatively, neutrally, or positively. Um, if someone, you know, you come back to the parking lot, someone scratched your car. If you ran it through a negative filter, you would say, well, I've done a lot of uh, bad things lately. Maybe this is God's way of getting back at me or something like that. Or you could do a neutral filter. We say, well, these things happen all the time. I guess it was just my turn. Or positive filter, you might say that, you know, I wanted to get this car repainted anyway. And so maybe I'll get some insurance money that, that can help out for that. So that's, that's really important too, I think. But I don't think that just doing that is going to be enough to change your life. I think, I think that because you're still stuck in a routine. So if, if you're just writing you know, down reasons why you can do something, but you're still doing the same thing every day, that's not going to be enough. Um, I think that, that travel is, is an important component too, but really just separation. Any, any act that you can take, which like what I did, where I separated myself from my former life, and you see this happening in like uh, tribal cultures, for example. Um, the boy is taken from his mother, and, and then the old self is spiritually killed through exercise or physical discipline, um, and then he returns. He passes the series of tests necessary, proved himself worthy, and then he's reintroduced back into the community, into the tribe. I think that that separation is an important aspect of personal change. If, if you're just spinning the wheels now, um, going to a job in an unhappy situation, maybe unhappy relationship, you have to change something and you, you might need to, to break free from where you are and go somewhere else. I don't know. But uh, just just writing things down in your journal is not going to be enough to change your life. I think that that separation aspect where you go through this trial and you come out a new person, I think that's very important. 
the end of your book, you start to talk about, you know, there's really different paths that people can choose for their career. And one of them is freelancing. And you go on to say that each one of us, between our skills and our experiences, have enough wherewithal that we could become freelancers if we wanted to. And as I start to transition to your book uh, called Hacking Upwork, How to Make Real Money as a Freelancer, is there any advice or exercise that you can have people go through to help them understand that the skills and experiences that they have right now, they can use to become a freelancer? Yeah, sure. So I can I can dive into that. I mean, I, I interview a lot of people in my podcast who were working a job and then they started a side hustle uh, while they were working. I talk to a lot of people who teach English and, you know, they'll start a blog or they'll write a book um, or they'll, they'll start creating video courses and putting them on YouTube. I just uh, spoke to Gabrielle Wallace. She was teaching English in Japan uh, for two years. And during the whole time, she was just putting out, you know, instructional videos for second language English teachers while she was teaching English. And now she has, I don't know the exact number, but I think she has over a million subscribers now for a YouTube channel. So she's been doing that for, for four or five years. I just interviewed her for my podcast, but she's doing really well. She's making three times more than she was earning at her, her teaching job and you know, loving every minute. She's traveled to something like 18 countries this year. And the thing is, she just started. You know, Her first videos, they weren't produced with great quality. You know, I mean, you can start with an iPhone, something like that. Uh, but I think you really need to be clear on what your intention is. And you really need to be clear that you're in this for the long haul. So you got to realize that other people's paths for success don't have to be yours. You know, so you got to be in it for the long haul. You got to love what you do, you know, even if, if you're not getting paid for it. And then it's going to take time, obviously, to, to build a platform. I talk to people who, you know, they start their platform, their blog, their podcast while they're working on a job. You know, in a year in, maybe it's not making much money. If they stick with it, you know, two years in, they're they're suddenly making enough money to replace their job. So you're telling me I've got another year, and then I'm going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> so what what about people who've uh, you know they they know they recognize they've got a skill that other people will pay for? Do you recommend that they kind of start slow, maybe through a systemized process like an Upwork? Yeah, sure. So Upwork is a remote staffing website for freelancers and clients. It's international. Um, I've been using it for about four or five years as a client. And I just started to use it about a year and a half ago as a freelancer. And I was a bit terrified because uh, it kind of has a reputation for, I guess, having bottom feeding jobs, you know, clients who pay like $2 an hour or $4 for an article, something like that. But then, you know, I, I studied some of the stuff out there that I, I, I knew about, like um, Sean Ogle, uh, Location Rebel. Um, and I realized that there, there are ways to do things differently. There are ways to protect your rates, to find quality leads and clients. And um, after a while, I was able to successfully. So I was living in Taiwan at the time. And I was almost out of money. I was doing some volunteering work out there uh, where I was at least had a free place to stay. But I was I was like, you know, scrubbing the walls and doing I don't know. It was, it was really not my kind of work, but um, I had some time at least. And I, I set up my Upwork profile and I just applied for like 50 jobs and I got nothing. So I, I realized, you know, like that, that's not the way to go about it. I don't recommend people start that way. It's the worst way to start. What you need to do is you need to try to take clients you already have or friends, anyone, and ask them to hire you through Upwork and get that initial traction, you know, get a steady base of reviews set up 
And I'm actually doing this at the moment with another platform. It's similar. It's called Clarity.fm. And it's similar to Upwork, but it's strictly for consulting. And what Clarity does is if you go into your profile, you can generate what's called a VIP link. And anytime you do a Skype call, if you're doing consultations already, uh, you direct them to Clarity and you set it up through Clarity. And, and then you can get reviews that way. You can build up a base of reviews. And then suddenly your, your profile is going to start ranking organically. And that's exactly what I did with Upwork. I went to these Facebook groups where uh, I had a travel blog by this point, And the travel bloggers kept complaining about their websites running slow. It was a common frustration that they all had. And I'm like, well, I know how to do this easily. You know, I'll do it for you. I'll even give you a great deal on it. But in exchange, can you hire me through Upwork? And that way I got like you know, 10 reviews or something that way five-star reviews. And suddenly my, I started having leads come to me and I didn't have to apply to them. And then I've got like some pretty good clients that way who hired me on an ongoing basis. I mean, I wasn't making a lot of money, maybe like 500 a month per client or something like that. Uh, and I was doing mostly like marketing, email outreach, uh, trying to get them leads for their businesses. And, and I actually wrote a book about that from based on what I learned. But that was enough to like to sustain me until I could get my book finished. And then I you know, published four books after that, and now that's doing pretty well. But I was kind of, I kind of put myself in a bind because my first book was taking so long to write. Upwork kind of uh, helped me, but it uh, definitely have to do it the right way because I think most freelancers fail when they try to use it. Yeah, I think one of the one of the things you talked about, and obviously it struck a chord with me and uh, what this podcast is about, is you talk about in the book, you know, how you have to cultivate a personal brand uh, in order to be successful using these tools. And one of the things is to make sure that you have a great portfolio. Specifically, you talk about something called a brand study. I'm very curious about that. When you say, uh, let's conduct a brand study, what, what are we referring to? Yeah, sure. So before you understand, can understand what a brand study is, you need to understand what perceived value means. I mean, the easiest way to increase your perceived value through a platform like Upwork is to set a high rate for your services. So if you're applying for a job and all the other contractors are charging $15 an hour and you're charging $85 an hour, then the client instinctively thinks that you're the best quality contractor. And so the things I suggest in Hack Upwork are meant to increase that perceived value so that you come in to the client when you begin, the, when you initiate the conversation as a superstar, not just someone performing a commodity service. You have to be someone that understands what it is that they want, what the opportunity is that they're trying to gain, and you're going to help them get to that next level. And so the best way, one of the best ways to increase perceived value is through case studies. If you don't have case studies, you can do what are called brand studies. And if you have a portfolio, I mean, I can look at your portfolio in, in minutes and I can say whether it sucks or not. If, you're, if your portfolio has you know, these clients that no one's ever heard of, and that's, that's kind of coming in as low value. But there's a, a marketer named Dan Kennedy, and he has this idea of a shock and awe package. And it's kind of like a press kit you know, that shows like your authority, your expertise, testimonials, press mentions. So I'm, I'm kind of giving a roundabout answer here, but a brand study basically is like, instead of you know showing showcasing portfolio items that are for like uh, some company no one's ever heard of, you can do like a creative brief where you do like a, a mock-up you know, for like a, a big multinational company like Nike or Adidas or, um, I don't know, help me, give, give me a brand here, Ryan. Apple. <laughs> Apple, okay, perfect. Yeah, so basically you, you, you kind of do like a mock-up of like how you would implement a strategy for Apple, you know, what you would consult for them, make it look really real and official. 
And, you know, it's, it's basically like you're just doing a mock-up, like you're, you're just showing, you know, what you would do and how you would help them to take their business to the next level. And the client usually never asks you whether you actually worked with them or not, whether it's real or not. But they, they'll often say like, oh, I, I love the work that you did for Apple, you know, and I want you to, to I want to talk to you about what you can do for my business. So if, if you have that social proof where you've already worked with these high level brands, that helps you to come in with high value. I have seen uh, someone who does that exact same thing. I'll link to it in the show notes, but he actually went to mint.com. And he said, look, here's all the great things about the current website, but here's all the things that are not very good either. And here's what I would do if I were the person responsible for the mint.com website. You know, you look at it and you go night and day difference and you can immediately see that, okay, this person has has the mindset of, of branding that I'm looking for and they have the skills to actually execute on it, which I think is is really good. And like you said, it kind of will assume in their mind that you actually did that work. But if nothing else, they're seeing the results of what you can do and it just helps them in their mind say, okay, if you were if this person were working for me, I know what type of work I'm going to get. So I think it's a great way for you to show the benefit you can add without actually have, having added that benefit to that potential client. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's a tough, I mean, freelancing is competitive. It's, it's a tough marketplace. And if you start at the bottom, chances are you're going to remain at the bottom for a very long time. And it's, it's really sad. But it, it starts to impact your psyche. So if you're working for bottom feeding clients, then it starts to affect your, your self-esteem. And then you start to think that you're not worth more than you are. And I, I see it happening to a lot of contractors. And you know the price you charge is directly related to basically your sense of self-worth. And I think it's, it's really important to have that high sense of self-worth and be able to understand your own value. And the best way to give a lot of value to your client is to really understand what's going to take their business to the next level. You know, what's going on in their business? What are they struggling with? What do they need? And what they need is a superstar, you know, period. <laughs> they need you to be that superstar who is like so amazing and so indispensable, brings so much value that they can't do business without you. So let's say we, we find one of those clients and they, they feel that it's you, you're the person and you get to the point where you've done a proposal. They come back to you with some, we'll say objections. What, what's the best way for you to handle those objections in, about a proposal? Yeah, sure. So um, sometimes the reason that they give is not really the real reason. And I think it's really important that if you're going to be having this conversation, you should be doing it face to face over the phone not over email. I think it's it's really easy to lose jobs through email. But what I what I do is uh, if I get an objection, you know, or if I haven't heard from them, I'll just follow up. You know, I'll say, uh, do you have any questions or concerns I haven't covered? Um, does it all make sense so far? You know, or, or let me know when we're ready to go through with this. Just kind of be persistent. And then if they give me an objection saying like, oh, we're not ready to go forward, or oh, we're not sure about this price, treat the objection as a question because you're not putting up any resistance. You know, you're, you're creating positive reinforcement that encourages them to share more information about the, the project with you. And then you treat the objection as a request for more information. So you say something like, that's a very good question. I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. Does it seem to cost more than you expected to pay or something like this? Uh, just to say like, you know, the price seems a lot. Well, that's a great question, you know. So, so you're kind of, when you say like, that's a great question, you know, you're kind of still being positive, you know, you're not being confrontational. Um, and you're encouraging them to talk more. And when they talk more, then they'll, you can dig deeper and understand the real reason why they can't afford your rate. And then you can kind of 
find a way to come back to them at a way that satisfies that specific reason, such as offering a payment plan that they can afford or um, explain to them that even though you know other contractors might offer a cheaper rate, there could be a huge gap in quality, for example. There's a, a saying I like by David Ogilvy, which I don't, I probably, I don't usually say it to clients, but um, he, he said this once where he said, if you're going to choose your agency on the basis of price, you're looking for the wrong end of the telescope. And, and so basically saying that, you know, it's more important to have the quality and to get the result that they want in the fastest time possible and then show them that they're actually going to make more money or save money by hiring you. You have to make it so obvious to them that, you know, they're losing by, by not hiring you. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It does. And then if, if there's ever like a deal is lost, I mean, you don't have to like slink away to. So like sometimes I'll ask like, you know, could you just tell me that I did my best, you know, to, to show you, to give my best presentation. Can you tell me the real reason why uh, you decided not to work with me? Or, you know, if someone's busy, you know, they say, I, I can't do this now. Um, I'll do like a rejection and retreat. So I'll say, you know, that's fine. I totally understand. And then I would ask for something else. You know, that's kind of a smaller ask. Like, will you happen to know anyone that I might be able to get in contact with? Or could I follow up with you in a month, you know, to, to check in or in a few weeks to check in? And, and I'll say, yeah, sure. And sometimes if you're just persistent enough, they'll be like, all right, fine. I'll, I'll, I'll give you, uh, you know, this budget and let's see what you can do. <laughs> but persistence is key too. Yeah. Sometimes you got to do those things, right? You got to, if you're ready to do it, you got to dive in and make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and most people are not persistent enough. I mean, I, I have people who pitch to me all the time every week. And, you know, sometimes I'll say, you know, I, I don't think it's a good fit and I want them to ask me why, but they don't. So I don't tell them, you know, <laughs> but it, it could just be something simple. Like I could say, well, I don't think this, you know, like they want to put an article in my blog or something like this. I don't think this article is a fit. And I said, oh, all right, well, um, you know, what would be a fit? And I would tell them and then I'd say, okay, fine. And they, I would, I would accept their article that they want to put on my website, but they get a rejection and they just disappear. And I think that's a mistake. That's a good transition point too. And this will be the last couple of questions and then we'll start to wrap up. As you talk about accepting articles for your site, your site is Open World Magazine. Can you tell us a little bit about what Open World Magazine is? Yeah, sure. So at the moment I have a blog and a podcast, but um, after doing about a year and a half of blogging and podcasting and writing books, um, I'm about to launch a digital magazine. It was really inspired by my travels and my location and lifestyle when I started to travel the world and I, I met all these incredible people who had all these stories all these things that they could teach me. Before that, I, I really, I felt like I had all the answers, you know, when I was living in San Diego and I felt kind of fearful of other people. But then I, I kind of opened myself up and then I, I realized that there's all these inspiring people, you know, like this guy just climbed to every, every space camp, you know, and I've never even been to Nepal. So, I, I, so basically what I did is I kind of wanted to tell these stories and I wanted to interview these people and, you know, ask them just how did you get here? You know, what was going on through your mind? What obstacles did you overcome? What fears did you have to face to get to where you are? And kind of just break it down into steps. And I felt like there wasn't a good resource out there for this. You know, there wasn't like a magazine out there. If you read like travel magazines, I mean, they, they feature like some, you know, Condé Nast or something. They feature some luxury resort, but it doesn't really help me in my life to get anywhere. So my idea behind, you know, behind open world is just you know, taking a leap out of your comfort zone and out into the open world waiting for you. And that's, that's what I'm hoping to accomplish with this magazine. Well, and you also go a step further uh, beyond that. You, you have a podcast uh, by the same name, Open World. 
And you talk to some really, really cool guests who bring a lot of, um, I think, excitement. It's really cool to listen to them. Can you tell us a little bit about your podcast, You know, when it airs and the types of uh, people that you talk to? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, it's a once-weekly podcast at the moment. And um, I tend to interview a lot of digital nomads, people who are like, I don't know, people who accomplish something amazing, whether it's in the realm of travel or redesigning their life. You know, maybe they were in a situation that wasn't for them and it came out the other side. I want to hear how they did it. So I, I try to, to dive into the how as much as possible and learn, you know, the strategies that worked really well when they were becoming self-employed. But then I interview people like this guy, Tony Mangan, who ran across the entire world at age 52, because I just, I just think his story is so inspiring and I, I want to learn how he did it. I would love to do something like that myself. But um, he never even took up running until he was like, you know, 50. And then suddenly he, he spent four years running across the world. And I, I just need to ask him, you know, like, what did it feel like when you were just out in the middle of nowhere and you're just having these, these thoughts like, what if, where am I going to sleep tonight? Or, you know, what am I going to eat? Or, you know, how am I going to survive? And I just, I just find that like that really hits home for me. And it suddenly makes my problems seem a lot smaller. Yeah, it's definitely, you have some very inspiring guests on the podcast. And I'd recommend anybody listening today to, you know, go download and subscribe to your podcast as well if you're looking for additional inspiration. And I think that's probably a good point to, to wrap up there because Danny, I find, I find you yourself to be a pretty inspirational guy. And I think there's going to be some people listening today who will find you uh, in the same light. And so what is the best way for those listeners to get in touch with you? Yeah, sure. So first of all, I want to say that I really enjoyed this too. I think you have a great presence during your interviews, Ryan, and uh, this conversation was a lot of fun. If you want to get in touch with me, uh, check out my blog. It's openworldmag.com. And I also have my, my podcast listed on there. You can also connect with me on Twitter, at Dan Dan Flood, same, as, same on Facebook. And um, you can search for me on Amazon. I have my books on there. Just look up Danny Flood or... Uh, feel free to reach out. My email address is danny at openworldmag.com and look forward to hearing from you. Oh, and I also have a, uh, I'm sorry, I have a free audiobook download if you want to check that out for Buy Your Own Island. It's, perhaps we can put a link to that in the show notes. Okay, yeah, I'll absolutely do that. Do you have any final thoughts? Um, I mean, you probably have lots of words of wisdom. I know you put a lot of them into your book, uh, Buy Your Own Island, but are, is there any tips, thoughts, final words you'd like to leave with any of the listeners today? If there's something that you really want to do, first, I mean, I could say just go out and do it, but that's, that's probably not going to help. Um, I think the, the main thing is you have to have really compelling reasons why you want to do what you want to do. If you don't have those, those strong enough reasons why, you have to come up with them first. If you, if you listen to an interview of like Arnold Schwarzenegger, for example, you know, they ask him, where does your confidence come when he was bodybuilding? And he says, my confidence comes from my vision. You know, I see myself standing on that podium, holding a trophy with all the other bodybuilders looking up at me. He has a really compelling vision. He has really strong reasons why he does what he does. I have strong reasons why I do what I do. If you have a goal, like if you want to get in shape, for example, just because you feel like you should, that's not strong enough. You know, if, if you have reasons why like, I want to have energy. I want to feel great. I want to have a six pack. I want to, you know, be the envy of all my friends. Then you have some reasons why. So I think that's, that's where you start and have those reasons why propping up what you're doing. And I think you'll go pretty far. And I think we should clarify the six pack you referred to is, <laughs> is abs, not holding a six pack because that, that would be a much easier vision for somebody to have. <laughs> yeah. Well, Hey Danny, thank you very much. It has been absolutely my pleasure having you on the show today. Um, I'm a, I'm a big admirer of your work and uh, I encourage everybody who's listening to go out and pick up Danny's books.
Thank you so much, Ryan. I had a lot of fun on this call and go out and do some cool stuff and then uh, write to me to tell me about it. I want to hear from you. Alibi-itis. We all suffer from it. Our alibis are different, but they are the same. Do any of these sound familiar to you? I can't move right now. My children will graduate soon. My children are really happy here. My job is not the greatest, but it pays the bills. We'd be leaving the family behind. And, of course, what if I fail? Naming your alibi doesn't make it any less of an excuse. The reality is, as Danny said early on in today's conversation, if you believe something is impossible, it will be. Getting what you want out of life requires you to change the way we think about a lot of things that you currently consider sacred ground. And you have to get used to being uncomfortable. But instead of jumping out of your comfort zone in one big leap, Take Danny's suggestion and lean in a little instead. Take the time to list out your goals. Break them down into their component parts. Determine the actions to take for each and every one. Give them a cost and assign them a timeline. If you do this, you'll begin to realize that change is possible, that you can defeat alibi-itis. Danny, thanks for being a guest on the show today. All of the show notes can be found on the blog over at ryanroten.com forward slash Danny Flood. Thanks again for listening in today. I know you have a long and growing list of podcasts to listen to, and I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to take this journey with Danny and I. Let me know your thoughts about today's show by sending me a tweet at Ryan Roten, and don't forget to use the hashtag BNY chat. That's all one word, BNY chat. Until next week, I've been Ryan, and I'm out.